This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. I'm Lola Benalon, Assistant Professor of Architecture Technology at GSAP. This fall, we created a mini-series on natural and living building materials. Natural materials are defined as minimally processed, readily available, non-toxic, healthy and engaging materials. These materials are critically needed to reduce carbon emissions and extractive harmful impacts associated with conventional building materials. Today, we'll have Chris Magwood talk about fibers as building materials. Chris is a builder, contractor, researcher, speaker and author obsessed with helping reverse climate change by making carbon storing buildings that are also healthy, beautiful, efficient, and inspiring. He's been doing this for the past 25 years. Chris has designed and built some of the most innovative, sustainable buildings in North America. He is currently the executive director of the Endeavor Center, a nonprofit sustainable building school in Ontario, Canada. He's also a co-founder of Builders for Climate Action, which rolls tools and policies for governments, designers, and builders to reverse climate change with buildings. Chris has authored seven books on sustainable buildings, including Straw Bale Details and Essential Sustainable Home Design. Chris, I am delighted to have you here today on our podcast of Fibers as Building Materials. And I would like to start with hearing from your experience what fiber and bio-based materials are most viable for the building industry in North America. I think my answer to that would be they probably all are. (laughs) We just haven't, you know, there are some that we've explored a lot more than others. But I think, you know, if there is uh, a fiber that that is already being produced and widely available, you know, as sort of a as a byproduct or a or a residue stream, there's a good chance we can make use of it in buildings. So, you know, to date it's been things like grain straw because it already gets wrapped up in these neat little bundles and people figured out that the bundle itself made a good a good building component. So, you know, straw has uh, has been around um, hemp is starting to be, you know, be used more and more in different ways. Both the, the fiber as a as a bat style insulation and the the herd as a hempcrete. But the more that I look around, the more I see that that there is a, a building use for just about every fiber available. Like just just north of me, uh, Curve Lake First Nation does um, wild rice production, and those the wild rice husks. Um, are the best fiber I've ever put in a plaster, for example. So, mm-hmm. you know, some somehow I think every fiber that there's not already a good use for in in agriculture or in some other way, we can probably take that fiber and and put it into a building in a meaningful way. So you're talking about different materials and different techniques, from straw bale to light straw clay to hempcrete. You know, either either using the bale as a building block or light straw clay that is tamped within a form or hempcrete that is also tamped but can be used again as building block. And you talked also about plaster. And how would you maybe recommend students to begin with these materials because they are not part of our conventional educational system. How can they integrate these materials into their design exploration in studio and then after in practice? 
Well, I guess first of all would you know be to to start your own version of cataloging them, you know, understanding what what is out there. And I think also important to understand where kind of on the spectrum of you know availability and common practice that fiber is. So for example, the wild rice husks that I'm using, there's no published article about that. You would never you would never come across that. Whereas, you know, straw bale and light straw clay are now in the international residential code in, mm-hmm. in the US. You know, I think figuring out where these things are at in their development would help. So do you want to be taking something that's already quite well developed on its path as a building material and furthering that? Or do you want to be at the the sort of exploratory edge of things and finding things that are underused or or haven't been used yet. So I think you know where you fit on that spectrum would define sort of how you get into looking at which ones and how you want to use them. And I think also what parts of the building are you interested in having those fibers incorporated? So, you know, are you a clay floor nut? <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of fibers that go with clay floors if you're into plaster, if you're into insulation. Um, if you're into structure, you know, that there, those fibers kind of show up, can show up in all those places. But, you know, where's your focus, where's your interest would sort of guide you to which, which ones are more, most appropriate to look into. So you will have fibers mostly either mixed with clay or lime. Are there other binders you are using for fiber components in buildings? I mean, I think a lot of what I do, we try not to use any binders. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with binders, but binders add time and cost and complication in a lot of cases. You know, that's my my attraction to something like straw bale construction is that when I pick up that bale and I put it in the wall, that's all I've had to do to it, you know, versus taking it apart, mixing a binder with it, and then having to sort of like build forms and reform it. I think, you know, that's a completely valid thing to be doing but at the point right now where all of these things are being done very much on site by the builder the least amount of work is what's going to make the fiber the most sort of practical and affordable thing so you know we've been playing a lot with what types of fibers can we put into a wall cavity that don't require any binders can we blow chopped straw into a thing can we blow hemp herd without all the line binder in can we you know we already know that rice hulls work really well in that way so my my sort of preference for trying to make these things work now in a way that conventional builder would not find um too burdensome points me towards you know non-binder type things but I think that the use of binders is just, it's not impractical, but it suits a more mechanized production. Mm-hmm. You know, So for me to do straw clay, I have to build a straw clay tumbler. I have to get the straw. I have to get the clay. I have to tumble it. I have to mix it. I have to put it in a wheelbarrow, take it to the wall, pack it into a form, pull the form off and let it dry, which is uh, a lot for uh, a site builder to do. But if I could buy a really great light straw clay brick <laughs> that I mm-hmm. could stack up, then the mix, then the use of binders doesn't offer that same burden of work. You know, same thing with hempcrete. I love using hempcrete, but having to be the one mixing it on site, it just the, the final product is great, but there's no way I can do that and be time and cost competitive with other insulations. You were talking about really finding 
new ways to invent these materials. Uh, you once mentioned sunflower stalks. I just uh, picked up some reeds for my own small project. What other byproducts you know are viable? How can students maybe, you know, do site assessment in, of their design studio and find what should they look for in byproducts and fibers yeah. to incorporate in their projects? I mean, I think the first step is is go look for the fiber, what's in your area. This year, just out of our own garden, my partner did a pretty extensive home vegetable garden this year, but I have uh, tomato vines, a bunch of different flower stalks, bean stalks, tomatillo stalks, Jerusalem artichoke stalks, like all of these things, as I'm looking at them, I'm like, yeah, every one of these is a viable material and if if I was in an area where any one of those things was being produced at any sort of quantity, they're all completely valid. So, you know, mm -hmm. the same way we found the, the rice hulls up at Curve Lake, it's like, if you can find the fiber, you will find a use for it. So that would be the first step. And then you're sort of, once you found the fiber, you just have to look and see, well, where does this seem to have the most value? You know, is it tough enough to be part of a structure is it lightweight enough to be an insulation? If I chop it up and bound it with something, how would that work? Is it is it literally like a you know a fiber that would make a great um, you know fiber inside a plaster for reinforcement? Like just the shape and the feel and the and the structure of the fiber will kind of steer you towards where you could best use it. I think your perspective as a builder is so insightful for um, us building professionals, designers and engineers who usually do not come to the point of actually building our own structure. So this is really, really important. I know that in the Endeavor Center, you offer different courses from, you know, small scale natural building workshops to a sustainable design build certificate program and a one month intensive. Which of the following would you think be most compelling for architects? And what topics do you cover that you think are important that aren't provided in conventional architecture education? What we try to do is is combine a lot of different perspectives into our courses. So, and I think it's a place where the natural building world maybe hasn't explored in a lot of cases. So I think it's really important that building science be a good part or a big mm -hmm. part of, of any of these things. So that as you incorporate a material that doesn't have a long history of use in a particular place, that you understand what are the forces that are going to be acting on this? You know, what's the moisture regimen? How, you know, is it permeable? Is it not permeable? You know, all of those sorts of things are really important. So, you know, we we do definitely get into the, the sort of hands-on elements of like, okay, this is how you mix it. And these are the ratios and, you know, all of the actual construction stuff. But I think it's just as important to be really mindful of the, of the building science part. So we incorporate a lot of that. And then also, because we're working with a lot of alternatives, we do a lot on how do you get these things approved? Because every here in Ontario, you can't build a building without it being fully code approved. So, you know, we do a lot of work on, okay, so how do you actually validate these things that probably aren't uh, recognized in the code right now. So how do you how do you go through that that process of validating them to make sure that you can get a permit and be able to use them? So those are the things that we wrap into the into the longer courses. I know there is the straw bale and light straw clay codes appendixes in the IRC. How about hempcrete? How do you? I, I never dealt with um, permits for hempcrete. How do you permit a, a hempcrete structure? 
Um, well, here we go through the same because in Canada, we don't have those IRC things. So nothing that we do is, is actually in the code. Um, but we have here uh, a pretty well-developed now alternative compliance process. Put together all your documentation. Here's the fire test. Here's the you know, thermal performance test. Here's the moisture test, all of that kind of stuff. And we reference the code. And you know, if it says, well, the code requires a 30-minute burn time, and we can show three hempcrete tests that show a 60-minute burn time, then, mm -hmm. okay, we've taken care of the fire concern and, you know, so on through the whole process. And in some cases, actually having to do that research. You know, there are some times when we've actually gone to a, a university lab and done the tests ourselves that we needed to do. We built a building with uh, the big round straw bales as structural columns. And well, there's no testing for that. So we, you know, went and plastered up a 12 foot high round straw bale column and squeezed it. And it's really, really strong. But we had to actually do that in order to do the buildings. As part of your leadership, um, you're also engaged in a wide range of policy and research avenues, like the one you just mentioned. But there's also the LCA tool and Builders for Climate Action. Um, would you share a couple of sentences about these projects and how can our students become more involved if they are interested? Yeah, I'm really excited. Builders for Climate Action has been my focus for the last year and uh, probably will continue to be. So it's it's been kind of a behind-the-scenes organization so far, but we'll we'll actually be launching it publicly uh, really early in the new year. And the the thing that I'm sort of most excited about is is this carbon footprinting tool that we've built in. So we've kind of amassed all the environmental product declarations and LCAs for conventional materials, but I think what makes this one exciting is that we've incorporated all of these sort of alternative materials and fiber-based materials, as many of them as there is reasonable data for, uh, mm -hmm. some of which has come from you. Thank you very much. <laughs> sure. um, and it's a really easy to use tool where people can just put in the basic geometry of your building, your R values, all those sorts of things, and you get a kind of real-time comparison of what all these options look like in terms of their carbon footprint. We'll be open for people who want to become members. We'll have a student rate, and that'll sort of give you access to the calculator and all the sort of supporting documents and stuff that we're putting together. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for all your insights and knowledge shared with us today. And yeah, I hope to continue working with you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.